0: The baptism of will uh, this morning to uh, consider a little bit of the iceberg of which infant baptism is but the tip. Our time today is a bit short with the two sacraments to observe this morning both baptism and the Lord's Supper, communion, so we obviously cannot give the matter anything like a thorough treatment. Today, But I would like for us to remind ourselves what lies beneath what we've just witnessed, the baptism of the infants of believers. My hope is that we'll be encouraged to remember our own baptisms and uh, to improve them by considering the promise of God that lies behind it, whether you were baptized as an infant or as a an adult. But first, let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask for your help and your blessing. We ask for you to open our eyes and open our hearts to receive the truths of your word, to receive them deeply into our hearts, that we may rest on your promises and take hold of them through faith. That's supplied by you as well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 17, we'll read the first 14 verses. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations." No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. As I was anticipating last week, the baptism this morning and the events of this morning, I found myself walking through the house whistling a little tune. Maybe you recognize it. It goes something like this. Recognize that tune? Can you name that tune? Father Abraham had many sons. And as I was walking through the living room, whistling this happy tune, Rebecca started in with a martial air and the words. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord, and on the song goes. Maybe you learned that song in Sunday school, too. I know it was a favorite of ours growing up, probably not so much because of its content, if I'm completely honest with you at the time, as much as the fact that it was so much fun to sing. But its message is rock solid. God promised Abraham many sons that he would multiply him greatly, and so he has. Because the scripture says that all of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today are the children of Abraham. You are Abraham's son by faith in Jesus Christ according to the scripture. Fulfillment and the heirs of the promises that God made to our spiritual father, Abraham, thousands of years ago and on the other side of the world. Now, it's on that ground, on that rock-solid ground of God's covenant with Abraham that we continue to do what we just witnessed this morning, to baptize our infant children. But that we may appreciate this more deeply and rejoice more Heartily in these things, let's briefly consider that covenant under three headings this morning. The substance, the sacrament, and the summons of this covenant. First, consider the substance of God's promise to Abraham. To this man whom God chose strictly and for no other reason than for God's mercy and grace to be the father of his people, God made this promise, verse 7. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Now, what is being God to you but the very substance of salvation? Right? Of eternal life. In covenantal terms, God is saying, I will save you. You will be mine. You will belong to me. And I to you. That's the very core of the covenant. And it's the very core of salvation itself. God is our God. And we are His people. The crisis of the lost, according to Scripture, is that they are precisely without God, separated from God. That's their problem. Not so the children of the covenant. God is their God, just as surely as he is our God. That's what it means to be saved. For you and for me today and for the whole Christian church. It is the promise of eternal life, of everlasting communion between God and man. Salvation, you see, didn't begin in the New Testament. God has been in the business of saving a people for himself through Christ Since long, long ago, long before Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, his saving power and his grace reach back thousands of years before the cross to take hold of a people of old, just as it reaches forward thousands of years to take hold of a people for himself today. But it does not take hold only of us. Just as it did not take hold only of Abraham. I will be God to you, God says, but continues on to say, to us, to the heirs of the promise, I will be God to you and to your offspring after you. You see, God's promise is not only for us, it's for our children. The covenant belongs to our children just as surely and completely and really as it belongs to us. Since the promise of God himself placed our children in the same class as us. When he said, I am God to you and to your children. It's the same promise to our children as it is to us. The same promise. The promise of God's fatherly love. The promise of forgiveness of sins of everlasting life. And the way those promises of divine love and forgiveness and life are fulfilled is also the same for us and for our children as it was for Abraham and for his offspring through the Lord Jesus Christ. Same way, same savior, same Lord. The fact that Jesus has appeared in time and space, been born and lived and walked and tabernacled among us, as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, should not make us less, but more sure of the salvation of the children of the covenant. Indeed, that's exactly the effect that it had on the apostles. Remember Peter preaching at Pentecost, calling on the people to repent and be baptized For the forgiveness of their sins in Acts chapter 2. He adds this. The promise is for you. And for your children. And for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now put yourself in the first century. A Jew hearing that for the very first time. A physical and spiritual descendant of Abraham standing there that day. The message was perfectly clear. The covenant that has included our children all this time, all these centuries, these millennia, up to this day, the covenant that has always included our children up to now, continues to embrace both us and our children with us. Nothing has changed. If anything, it's only gotten better because the promises that Abraham had to view from afar have arrived. Jesus Christ has come, He is here, and His love and grace and mercy have been revealed to us and to our children with us. That's the substance of God's covenant. The covenant he made with our father Abraham and his offspring, even us who are the offspring of Abraham, according to Paul, and our offspring after us. Eternal life. And it's based on the substance of that covenant, you see, that we continue, second, to administer the sacrament of that covenant. Not only to those who are brought into the covenant like Abraham as adults, From the outside, from their unbelieving backgrounds, but also as Abraham's, with Abraham's offspring to our offspring as well. In Abraham's day, that sign was, of course, circumcision. Verse 10 This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Now, the sign obviously was applied only to the males in a direct way, and that for some very straightforward reasons. But that doesn't mean that the females were therefore left outside of the covenant. They, too, were part of the circumcision. That group called the circumcision by virtue of the fact that they were the offspring of circumcised males, and in the case of marriage, the wives of circumcised males. And they therefore enjoyed the same blessings of the covenant as the males did. They stood in the same relationship with God as the males did by virtue of the covenant that God had made with their fathers to be their God, too, now, today the sign has changed. The rite, I mean R-I-T-E, the rite of initiation into the covenant is no longer circumcision, is baptism. Jesus did not send his apostles into the world to make disciples, circumcising them, but rather baptizing them. And that's exactly what they did. And... It surprises us not in the least to read that as they did, they baptized not only individuals, but families, entire households they baptized. We've just finished our series in the book of Acts, so it's also very fresh in our minds that not only believing Lydia, but her household was baptized Likewise, the Philippian jailer believed, and his household was baptized. And Cornelius's. And in 1 Corinthians, Stephanus's. Of course they were. Of course they were. Because God's modus operandi has not changed, God has not changed. His promises have not changed. He is God to us and to our offspring, to our children. Because the substance, you see, of the covenant belongs to them. Therefore, the sacrament of the covenant belongs to them. It's on that basis, you see, that believing God's promise and following God's pattern with Abraham And it seems to us, the pattern that continued with the very first families who entered the early Christian church in scripture, that we baptize our households, including our children now, just as Abraham circumcised them then, and that for the very same reason, they are in the same covenant. He has promised to be God to them just as surely as he promised to be God to us. We might put it this way the sacrament follows the substance. Where the substance of God's promise is found, the sacrament follows the substance. But there's something that follows the sacrament, and that is this third, the summons of the covenant. The summons. Upon establishing his covenant with Abraham, God summoned him. Verse 1, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then again in chapter 18, we didn't read it a few minutes ago, but there in chapter 18, upon visiting with Abraham with the news that uh, Sarai, his wife, would bear a son in his old age, God says this in verse 19 of Genesis 18. I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he's promised him. You see, there's a summons here. There's a summons of God's covenant. It's a summons to parents. Command your children to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Parents, why? God says, so that so that I may bring what I have promised to your children. Parents, mothers, fathers, and you future fathers and mothers, here is the summons that God issues to you. Walk blamelessly Before the Lord, and command your children to do the same so that the Lord may bring what He has promised. Now I hasten on to add that He does not say, Walk perfectly, or even walk sinlessly. Before the Lord. That would be a summons sure to send every parent in this room into immediate despair. It is the righteous parent's deepest grief that at his very best, his or her parenting is laden with sin and with shortcomings. And yes, even failures. But it is not to sinless parenting that God summons you, dads and moms. It is blameless parenting. The kind of parenting that acknowledges sin honestly before God. And when appropriate, even before their children. You parents here who know what it's like. Maybe you shared in this experience of having to get on one knee and ask your children to forgive you? Blameless parenting, the kind of parenting that acknowledges honestly before God and before others that we have failed and we will fail. Parenting that seeks forgiveness when we fail, that repents And that is ever striving to walk before the Lord, replacing sin with new obedience and leading our children to do the same. That's why at the baptism of our children, even though what this is, what baptism is, is a transaction really between God and our children. Why parents, on the Sunday when your children are baptized, your main Purpose, Your main reason to be here is to get that child to church to be baptized because this is God's transaction with them. But I say that's why we parents do make our own vows, too, at the baptism of our children. Not because we are the ultimate source of our children's salvation. No way. No way. Only God. Only Jesus Christ is the ultimate source of anyone's salvation, yours or your children's. Not ultimately, but instrumentally. Instrumentally, you are the source of your children's salvation. Not ultimately, please, but instrumentally, You give your children spiritual life just as instrumentally you gave your children physical life. Not ultimately, of course. You were but the instruments of giving them physical life. And not ultimately, but instrumentally, you pass along spiritual life to them as well. And that shouldn't surprise us. There's nothing controversial about that whatsoever. We see this pattern all the time and everywhere. The evangelist is the instrument of bringing salvation to the lost. Ministers are the instruments of leading their congregations to Christ. Parents are the primary instrument of passing along the blessings of God's covenant to the generation that is rising in Their home, and his or her home. So that, the Lord says, so that I may bring in their lives what I have promised. Now that, my fellow parents and church, for we all have a role to play in this, don't we? You know who taught my daughter? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. You know who taught her that song? Joy wear with her guitar. We all share. We're all instruments in our children's lives, in the lives of this congregation. We all are under this summons with the parents in our congregation, this summons. And responsibility. How in the world, how can we possibly rise to this task? Well, the same way we rise to any of the great tasks to which God summons us. by grace, by grace. It's only by God's grace that we can even begin to follow God's commandments. Remember the great church father, St. Augustine? Remember his famous line, Command what you will, O God, but give what you command. So even the summons of the covenant sends us right back full circle to the grace of the covenant. Grace by which alone we are saved Grace by which alone our children are saved. Grace by which alone we lead our children to salvation. Or more accurately said, to their Savior. To our God and to theirs. Amen.